Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our game changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then, buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and, of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, one. Okay. Here, here we are. Oh, this is, uh, I love this song. I, I've kind of got this my feet song. up in my chair. I don't know about you what guys. What you scared of, Bobby? <laughs> there's nothing to be scared of. No, just this, a snake. This one's going to be different. Just a snake. Yeah, just the fact that we're sitting in a room with five venomous snakes. Is it, is it, are you on, the, on we, the edge? I we got them on the edge. Yes. I yeah. love it. I love so, it. welcome to West Point, Mississippi, uh, the gamekeeper... Home of the snakes today. The snake pit. The snake cast. The snake cast. This is this is great though. It it really is. And look, I'm I'm looking across the Toxies is not here. Imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. You got a diamondback rattler in his seat over there. (laughs) I don't don't know where he is. I'm not gonna say he didn't want to come for the snakes. Hey, he hadn't been around this long because he didn't make good decisions. I think it's duck preparation season. It is. That's why I just I literally just left from clipping duck holes. Yeah. So as a guest, we've got a guy, and I'm I'm looking at him. This guy that looks like y'all remember what Grizzly Adams used to look like. Yeah. This guy is like an Alabama version of Grizzly Adams. His name is Jimmy Styles. Welcome to the studio, Jimmy. Love it. Thanks for having me, y'all. Yeah. This is this is fantastic. Couple Good. things I got to get I'm out honest. of the way first, though, Jimmy. So for our friends in Mexico, it'd be Jaime, if I'm not mistaken. This is true. So boy, he just. But so look, I want ends. you to look me in the ends. eyes because I really don't know you. I've, I've gotten to know you, but some other podcast could have sent you in here to try to. Are you going to hold a snake today? I am not holding a snake, <laughs> but I want you to promise me you will leave with the same amount of snakes you came in here with. I, absolutely. That's always my plan. I use these snakes for education, so I definitely got to take them back home because uh, this weekend I got to do more education with them. Do they stay at your house with you? Well, they do. Nice. Yeah. You have a snake room? Or? I, I do have a snake room. Yep. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's it, cool. It, it, you know, it, it could alternate as a guest bedroom. Yeah. Uh, you know. <laughs> if Bobby but, comes over, that's where I'll stay. Yeah. But not a lot of our guests have wanted to stay in that room. I don't know what the deal is. That's a good way to keep people from wanting to turkey hunt with you. You can it, just go off on. It, on Lane, he's a you, big turkey You would hunt. think that. I know, and he kills privet. I mean, it, that's. I mean, he's a gamekeeper. Yeah, he's a really interesting guy. He's a gamekeeper. Yeah, I love love killing privet. I love killing turkeys. You say that, a a couple of my good friends that are herpetologists, uh, we all get together for the turkey opener, and uh, they'll stay in the 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 snake snake room. room With the herpetologists. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. They don't mind. They they know the snakes aren't going to bother them, so... 
Yeah, the more room, the better. Do so you keep we, them in the five-gallon buckets at the house, or do you have like aquariums? I, I do not. They have big aquariums oh, and nice. stuff like that. Yeah, they got plenty of room to roam around and do their snaky stuff. Sweet. Yeah. Where are you from? Uh, I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham. Ori- originally. Nice. Um, but uh, last 20-some-odd years now, we live in the Kanaka National Forest. Ah. Um, way down in South Alabama, right near the Florida line, in the heart of Longleaf Pine Country. There's a few snakes down there. There, are, There's actually there's more reptile and amphibian species in the Kanaka National Forest than any other public land in the U.S. That is the perfect spot for you. It um, is. <laughs> there's no coincidence that that is true, and I live there. Yeah, Alabama awesome. is a very diverse state. It really um, is. I could is. be wrong, but I vaguely remember in forestry school, one of my professors saying that it has more like, uh, what do you call it? Physiographic regions. Ah, physiographic provinces. Yes. Than, than any other state. It does. Mm. It actually is, uh, it's home. Uh, we're number one for fish biodiversity, yeah. crayfish biodiversity, uh, mussels, mussels, freshwater snails, uh, freshwater turtles, and frogs. Man, Alabama's killing it over there. Yeah, did he say crayfish? Yeah, we have we have nine over over a hundred species of crayfish now um, described from Alabama. Hmm. So really interesting guy. Your your dad uh, is a fish. Yeah, he studies fish. I call him the bipolar ichthyologist, like uh, crappie, bram, you know, stuff like that. He didn't care about studying those. Um, he studied sharks when I was a little kid. And uh, then uh, later on in life, he ended up studying in da- the, the little tiny endangered fish, you know, the darters, oh, shiners, yeah. all that sort of stuff. Hmm. Um, but I rebelled against him and became a herpetologist <laughs> and uh, studied reptiles and amphibians. But it's, it's interesting, your story. Uh, you're a herpetologist, but... You also are into this gamekeeping stuff, like you're doing yeah. your PhD on getting rid of privet with, yeah. the, uh, with the use of fire. I am. I am. I uh, Kind of a, um, you know, twist of fate. Uh, I've been a classic herpetologist for, for over 20 years now, done a lot of herpetological research, um, but uh, had the opportunity to work on privet. Uh, actually on area, I get to hunt a lot. And so, mm-hmm. um, I was like, Oh, PhD, that means I'll have to be out there a lot. There you go. And, uh, you know, so I signed up for that and I get to throw in some reptile and amphibian stuff in the mix, looking at how privet affects reptile and amphibian communities. I love this mix of business and pleasure. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I've tried to design my entire life around this. So we resemble that remark. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I, I mean, this may sound odd. I mean, I hope that your study proves that it does affect them so we can get more funds to, to learn more about how to get, you know, get rid of the privet. Yeah, the, the, the early analysis doesn't really show a big difference between uh, privet areas and non-privet areas. But there is a big increase in reptile and amphibian diversity in areas where you get rid of the privet. So, mm. you know, getting rid of privet is good for reptiles and amphibian communities. That sounds to me like there's just so I much privet. Bobby might start that playing we don't know privet the over there. It's true. <laughs> you know, so privet, uh, it's not that hard to kill. And, and you're, you and I have talked, but sure, we've got a friend that lives in South Mississippi that actually encourages privet on his place, fertilizes privet, and he thinks that it, it's good for his deer herd. I thought that was kudzu. Well, yeah. I mean, they no, like, this is uh, no, this is yeah, this is a guy that's his, uh, you know, he's a serious deer manager. I I don't want to say his name; it rhymes with Boston. That <laughs> oh, you. Uh, are you serious? Yeah, he's really into into uh, what into uh, privet. So Very so cutting down privet 
the re-sprouts, when you cut it down, all privet will vigorously re-sprout. And uh, those are definitely preferentially uh, browsed on by deer. Um, although, if you let it go for, like you know, by the end of summer into the next fall, uh, they quit browsing it, it builds up uh, toxins, the, you know, nutritional value decreases and, you know. Um, so cut cut it down, let them browse it, and then kill it. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think you should just get rid of it. It's just. You've been using that LS, I guess, your private hat. Yes, uh, I have. And speaking of the LS, uh, Jimmy, hang on just one second. Yeah, but where, Richie, where is the LS? Well, I just it brought back. But, Richie, what happened to the front end? We. we is wait, wait, are y'all, y'all are just pulling my chain. No, no, you? Richie has. What What did you do, Rich? Richie, it has a grill guard on it. Well, well it did, yes. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, uh, this is a good topic here today. So, you know, we got a lot of brush piles around the property where they clear cut and stuff. And, you know, the last few weeks I've been out there with a chainsaw, cutting through it and you know, all that stuff. Well, I had the LS tractor at the house. I was like, well, you know, I'm going to use this to my advantage. Yeah. So I started, you know. Using the front end loader there to push it and all that, you know, some of this stuff is like 15 feet tall, you know. And so we get, I get up in there pushing the brush pile and then all of a sudden I hear a crunch and I pull the tractor out and I see this like three foot branch sticking out the, the grill. Mm. Was there any fluid? No, out no, because the, the tractor still ran the rest of the day. Yeah. This is what I, was I did. Re- I did. I did remove the, uh, the, the limb, the limb. Mm. But yeah, it's hey, it's a tough cookie. Richie, mm. Richie's on restriction. It, it definitely got on board. Yeah, <laughs> Richie's on restriction. Well, so <laughs> sp- speaking of that, changing the so thank you, Richie. Just be careful, be okay? Careful. And we will send you an invoice for whatever yeah. damage was done there <laughs> yeah. on that. And Mac, look at everybody. Lanny's looking at me like, who is this episode brought? Yeah, to you who by? is this episode? It's brought a by triple me? threat: LS, Furminator, and Moultrie. Wow, yeah, that's yeah, that nice. time of year for those things. Yeah, the Furminator, uh, boy, that's that's a way to do some plots, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah it is. It's it's a good piece of equipment, and and right now, I, I wish I had one. Just saying, <laughs> for those out there. Well, you know what? We might could help you out there. That's right. right. And then I saw Clay assembling a Moultrie cedar. Have you seen that new one that's got the electric gate? That opens up. It, so yes, you can, it's very useful. Yeah, that, that is state of the art. Yeah, I could very use that. Mi- micro adjustment, which you need for the different seat sizes and stuff. Richie, no, your own restriction, yeah, bro. Richie, you cannot. Driving the LS into, mulch. like, it's not a log. I'll tell you truck, what I love. Okay? Is, this is, is not a logging Moultrie Mobile. Huh? Yeah, they, 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 they do. They got some good stuff. That Moultrie Mobile is pretty awesome. I've, I've got it set. They've got a. Uh, um, like an AI program on the app that will uh, identify different things. And uh, so I've got mine set and it sends me an alert anytime a vehicle or a person shows up on my property. Oh, that's cool. You know, that it's, that, that it's some pretty high tech stuff that they've got going on. And I'll tell you another thing about like the Moultrie feeders, since we're talking about, going to talk about snakes, we've got a mutual friend, Tess Jolly. Yeah. yeah. And Tess has told me numerous times that she's driven up or walked up, on her feeder and then there'll be snakes around it. Yes. It's like they use it as a hunting point. They do. Uh, so as a perfect public service announcement, guys, if, when you're working your feeders, Look you out. need to be careful. Be careful. Absolutely. In fact, the, the property I hunt on, uh, there's a great uh, set of photos that I love um, of the old school, you know, those old school trough feeders. They had those. Yeah. Um, there's like a rattlesnake laid in the corn waiting on the squirrel to come down the, the pole to get the squirrel. 
That's, that's hunting over bait. That it, that's that hunting over bait. That's a perfect, that's a perfect <laughs> stand placement for a rattlesnake. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Furminator, and you know I was out uh, on on some of our property today, and let me tell you what, it did a great job with the non typical clover last year. So that's uh, good to hear. Good to hear. That sure is. Well, so guys, you can go to lstractorusa.com. You can go to Furminator.com, Moultrie.com, and yep. check all these products out. Moultrie's got a fifteen percent off coupon if you say. Mossy Oak right now. So. Boom. So yeah, those do you are, have to say it into the computer? No, or you, no, you, you type it. You, you, you type it. I'm just. I'm all nervous. We got these buckets full of snakes over here. As soon as you handle a couple of them, you'll be fine. You know, Rob chastised me last week. We had the we, for some reason we've done a lot of snakes. Like the audio week. sensory specialist. Yes. Huh. So I wanted to name last week's podcast "Hold My Snake," and Rob, you know, kind of this week's or last week's? last week's. But last week's this week is was last week's when we were talking about. Oh, okay. Anyway, anyway. anyhow. So let's Let's circle back. Happen? No, I don't want to hold your snake, Jimmy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No is the answer to that one, right off the bat. So, all right. So, Mac, have you got anything else? Glad to see you back. I didn't even recognize yeah. you when you showed up. He's all up. like sun-looked, uh, sun-kissed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Atlanta's good to have you back, I'm too. I'm proud to be back yep. from Dud- the Blue Water. Dudley and I have been holding down the fort. Mm. And uh, How was the show in Jackson? The show in Jackson the was The Mississippi Wildlife Extravaganza. We had a great time. We good. really did. Good. Made a lot of friends. A lot of folks were there. That's good. A lot of good vendors. Hate I missed it. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I want to say – I'm glad you brought that up. Ricky Flint spent some time with yeah, us in the buddy. booth, and his mother. I think his mother's having it. She's she's not doing good, and it. I think she may have had a, an event Saturday at the while we were at the thing. Oh, and no, I've been seeing right. that Ricky post about it, so he's going through a real tough time right now. We just want to let him know we're thinking about him. He's in our thoughts and prayers. No doubt about it. All right, so moving back, is, Mac, is that all the business we need We to asked him 8 million questions at lunch, so maybe we need to regurgitate some of those. I did have one thing. We we put on some uh, products and inventory on Native Nursery. Oh, yeah? So you can go ahead and place your fall tree order now, and it'll ship in September. Yeah, we're kind of switching things up a little bit. So just to ensure plant survival – you know, Dudley sat down. We think about the best time to ship plants. So we're taking orders now and going to start shipping in September. Once those September dates roll around, if there's any trees left, you'll be able to still order and get them shipped immediately. But So get your orders in. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Okay. All right. Let's turn our attention to the other end of the room, to this. Uh, you hey, Look. <coughs> Nobody has worn a ponytail as long as what you have. You're the first in here. You're the first guy to bring snakes I, in here. You got the longest ponytail. I feel honored by all of these. <laughs> I'm a. Uh, you hear that? Can you hear a snake rattling? I can hear a snake rattling. That yeah. is. How does a guy, Jimmy, you look like a pretty normal guy. You, how do you get interested in reptiles? So I guess I, I uh, you know, we covered my, my dad stayed fish. And uh, one of his good friends uh, when I was a kid uh, was a herpetologist. He studied reptiles and amphibians. And uh, so I, you know, kind of followed him all around and uh, um, just became fascinated with reptiles and amphibians. They're they're just cool creatures. And uh, um, so I, I basically rebelled against my father. And instead of studying fish, I studied reptiles and amphibians. Um, you know, some people might be lawyers or something like that, but I couldn't go down that dark path. So he didn't uh, kick you out of the family or nothing. No, okay, no, good. he he still he still accepts me for who I am, which is good. <laughs> yeah, um, well, awesome. you probably learned a lot 
about fish from him and you wanted to learn about some new stuff that you didn't know a lot about. Exactly. Somewhat related. So he had to be pumped. You probably know a lot about, you know, fish too. Yeah. yeah I, I, I know a fair amount about fish. I like to say I'm the son of an ichthyologist. So I, you know, I, I know a fair amount about fish, but, uh, but yeah, that's exactly right. I wanted to branch out and, you know, I love native plants and mm-hmm. the um, ecosystems as a whole and uh, reptiles and amphibians are a big part of that. So, no doubt. Um, you know, so I, I, I kind of over the years focused my uh, research on reptiles and amphibians and then later on uh, got roped into this whole prescribed fire thing yeah. and uh, how cool it is and then. Uh, got lucky enough to to marry the two together and study the effects of fire on reptile and amphibian species. Man, yeah. well, what is a fire? If a, will a fire run right over the top of a snake and not bother him? I mean, sometimes they get burned up, but uh, you know, just like uh, we think about uh, turkey quail, nest. quail, turkey, all that sort of stuff. The improvement in the habitat uh, is so beneficial. Uh, that it overwhelms any sort of like individual mortality you might see from uh, from the fires themselves. Um, so can we get an uh, amen a, on a that? Net, yeah. It's a net benefit or a hallelujah. Yeah, so. you know he sounds. You you sound like you you really see the big picture. I, I try. I try. I, 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 I mean, really, I think of myself as an ecologist because yeah. I'm fascinated by the, the inner weavings of, of all the natural world. You know, how the, how the plants fit in. How does fire fit into the plants? How does that all affect reptiles and amphibians? And, uh, you know, uh, obviously, I'm pretty pretty big uh, deer and turkey hunter as well. Uh, well, really, uh, I hunt anything. Uh, so uh, how, how does that all fit into the big picture? You yeah, know? that's right. So, Love it. Yeah. So if you're walking through the woods turkey hunting and you step right beside a timber rattler, does it jolt you like electricity? I, I, absolutely. If you, <laughs> if you step on or right by a rattlesnake and it doesn't scare you, uh, there's something wrong with you. That's what God designed them to do. I, you know, look, I, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I, things come out of my mouth that don't normally come out of my mouth when I get close to I a sound snake. like I, a child. You know, yeah. like I scream like a little noise. girl. I'll, I'll be honest. I, a couple of years ago, we were uh, uh, we were doing the private stuff and we're out measuring plants and uh, had some uh, some people working with me. And uh, we, we're all interested in reptiles and amphibians. And uh, I step right on about a five foot timber rattlesnake. I mean, just square on its back. Oh, good. I was, I was actually looking for it against a log that was a, a few feet away, expecting it to be up against the log. And it was, it was out a few feet. And I stepped right on this thing. And it, you know, I, I don't know who was more scared, the snake or me, but I jumped up in the air, screamed like a girl. Uh, the rattlesnake like took off through the woods, rattling and looking back like what just happened. And, uh, yeah, then we uh, both looked at each other and calmed down. We we're like, "Okay, you go that way. I'll go this way. It'll be all good." Was he? How did you know he was there? Was he rattling? No, I, I knew he was there because I stepped on him. Oh, okay, I, I thought you said you were could you smell him? I I I couldn't smell him. He didn't musk. Uh, snakes do musk on occasion. Um, he didn't musk, but you know, it, it was probably because it all happened so quick. You know. Yeah. Have you ever been walking and just like, "Ooh, there's a snake right here somewhere. I can smell him." I I have, but. Rarely does it turn out there's ever actually a snake there. Um, hmm. but a couple of times I've smelled a snake and then looked around real good and seen a snake there. Um, but snakes musk out of fear, so they're not gonna. They're not just like going around throwing the smell everywhere. Um, they do it when when they're like you know 
they think they're in imminent danger. You know, you step right on it or, or you pick it up or, you know, somehow scare the snake, hit it, hit it with something. Hmm. Um, so it's rare that you would step close enough to a snake, not already know it's there, then smell the snake and be right. like, I smell yeah. the snake. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you just said that you stepped on a big old rattlesnake yeah. and didn't get bit. That's true. In your mind, and there may be some study, but what are the odds of stepping on a rattlesnake and getting bit or struck at versus the snake just, you know, being also being scared and trying to get away? So I I don't uh there there is a study. I, I don't I can't remember the numbers right off the top of my head. There's not a lot of research on this. Um, but it, it, it is pretty rare. Honestly, when you step on a snake, most of the time the snake's going to do what I, or, or what it did when I stepped on it. It's going to bolt, try and get away, you know, um, not to say that they couldn't, you know, strike. And, and sometimes obviously they do, um, or, or a lot of people wouldn't be bitten by them. Um, but, uh, uh you know, it, I think it would amaze people to, realize the number of snakes they step near mm-hmm. within strike range and never even knew the snake was there. I mean, on, on many occasions I've walked right by uh, diamondback rattlesnakes checking our traps and uh, um, it would just be, you know, it, it wouldn't move when rattle, nothing happened. And, I, and then I'd look back and see it and be like, Oh man, I just stepped within inches of that thing. Mm. And uh, it was just sitting there coiled, trying to hide. So uh, of the, of the snakes that you've interacted with over your career, would you say a lot, a lot, would you say certain species are more aggressive than others? Um, I mean, again, there's a, there's a great study uh, done by some colleagues of mine. And uh, they went out and kind of set out to prove this. And so they went out in the woods and they caught uh, copperheads, cottonmouths, and timber rattlesnakes. Um, and what they would do, the way des- the design was, they would go out and they'd find the snake, observe the snake, uh, write down what it was doing. You know, then they would approach the snake again, write down what it was doing. They would, with, with protective gear on, of course, step on the snake, write down what it was doing. And then lastly, they would grab it with a set of tongs, like uh, with a, a glove and a shirt, kind of like if somebody were picking it up, and then write down how often uh, the snake uh, actually struck. And uh, it turns out copperheads were the most likely to strike, hmm. timber rattlesnakes were second, and cottonmouths, contrary to most popular folklore, were the last on the list. That wow, shocks that's shocking me. to me. Yeah. I've never been chased by anything but a cottonmouth. Well... Let me bring that up. I, I was reading on a Facebook group. Oh, you know, everything, everything <laughs> all on the about is real. All <laughs> about native snakes. And I remember reading that cottonmouths are not really the ones that come pursue you like if you're in your boat. That's typically like a water snake. Am I correct on that? Or I mean... People co- say cottonmouths will just come attack the boat. Or Yeah, you know. I mean, they don't come attack the boat. I've, I've never seen that or really even heard of it. I mean, cottonmouths, you know, if you're if you're going down a, a, a water body or you're out in the lake or something like that, you know, the cottonmouth doesn't think, 
oh, that's a boat full of people, right? <laughs> no. All, all it thinks is, oh, that that's a log, or it's a thing that I might could rest on or get out oh, of the water. Okay. You know, so th- they will approach a boat maybe um, because they're thinking, hey, maybe that's a good place I can crawl out and bask or, right. you know, not warm ha- up a little, not yeah. have to keep swimming, you know, yeah. if it's a long, if it's a big lake or something. Um, but you know, um, they're, they're not like trying to get in the boat and then, you know, like eat jump you. on your face and eat you or anything. <laughs> Lonesome dove, you. you. Remember <laughs> yeah. that one? Oh, I definitely remember <laughs> Lonesome dove. Yeah. Um, that, that's another big myth that cottonmouths make these big, uh, you know, aggregations and balls. And that is actually like water snakes. So, mm-hmm. um, cottonmouths are, 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 they, they breed differently, um, than water snakes. Water snakes, um, they will have like uh, mating aggregations when the when the female um, you know gets ready to breed, she'll release pheromones, kind of like deer. You know, it'd be like a a, a water snake estrus situation yeah. Yeah. going on, and, uh, and and that might attract a whole lot of males. You know, and they'll all try and breed, and and uh, uh, so you get these these big balls of water snakes um, trying to breed. And, you know, people aren't very good at their observational skills and, and don't necessarily know the difference between different snake species. And I think what a lot of times people equate that those are water moccasins doing that. And, and really, it's just totally harmless. Water snake. Yeah. I get water folks, uh, I'm pretty good at identifying trees, but for some reason, people think I can identify everything. So people send sure. me photos of snakes all the time. And I have to spend a lot of time trying to key them out and stuff. I'm getting a little bit better. But what I'm finding is a lot of people think these, you know, water. Banded water snakes. From and, no, you know, yeah. northern, whatever, diamondback waters. Everybody thinks that's a, a cotton mouth. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah. is there a is there an easy, like, I'm sure there's a couple of key identification features. Sure. That, I mean, that one, uh, you know, and it doesn't. Uh, I like to tell people I'm teaching classes, you know, the best way to identify a snake is because of the way it is, you know, like if we like go the way around, a dove flies, is different. Ex- exactly. The way a dove flies, it, you know, outdoorsmen should get this right. I mean, duck hunters can identify, uh, you know, a species of duck buzzing through the air at 60 yards and decide whether to shoot or not. But you got a snake sitting there on the ground and they don't know how to identify it. I mean, it boggles my mind, honestly, because I do lots of programs and I'm shocked at how few people bother to learn the six animals in the southeastern United States that pose the most threat to us. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, you know, we can identify all kinds of different bird species we hear, uh, you know, uh, I mean, most hunters know all the, you know. Uh, meso predators and large mammals and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yet when it comes to snakes, it's like, Oh, I don't want to learn about that. It, you know, it could hurt it's a me. snake. Yeah. It's, a, <laughs> it's just a snake. Well, you know, like in Alabama, we have almost 50 species of snakes and only six of them are dangerous. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is learn six animals, how to identify them. And all the rest of them are, you know, harmless. Yeah. Um, but uh, in the case of the cotton mouth, Couple things. One one is uh, uh, cotton mouths tend to have a, a a dark stripe that runs from their nostril back through their eye down into their cheek, and uh, and they have a real 
uh, angular head, not necessarily a triangular head because water snakes can, can spread their head out and make it look real triangular. Very triangular. Um, but they have a ridge called the Canthus rostralis that goes around their, their head. And, uh, it's, it's, it's like a, a, a real, um, sharp cliff, right? It's, uh, um, it's real angular. So if you're um, above flat on them- top, so if you're above them, you can't actually see their eyes. Uh, whereas a water snake, if you were right above them, uh, you could see their eyes. Um, so uh, it's a couple things. One good way, if you want to learn how to identify snakes, is actually through Facebook. If you get on these snake ID groups, uh, most of them are pretty good. They're they're generally all real good about whether it's venomous or not. Yeah, I've learned a lot from people that. learning yeah. their snake species. Same thing with plant ID. Yeah. Although I've I've noticed that uh, people misidentify plants way more regularly on those groups than they do snakes. Oh yeah, deadly corrects them on the plant ID. Good. So <laughs> if we came to your house, you, yeah. you've got snakes and frogs and alligators and uh, you got gators in your house too. They're not in the house. Okay, <laughs> they're outside the house. There we go. Yeah, in the yard. They are in the yard. Yeah. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if, I don't think Bobby's going to come by anytime. Let's just say you had to call the paramedics to come to your house. Are they going to stop at the driveway? And, Give it and, a honk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I like to hope they come in because they're all contained and well labeled. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty meticulous. So. Um, I, I am a firefighter. So actually if something goes wrong, uh, they're pretty much going to page me out to come <laughs> save myself. And in which case I'll be in trouble. Um, there's a few of us on our, our volunteer fire department. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I have everything very well labeled and, you know, they're all separate and they're, you know, how many gators are in the yard? Uh, there's just one. Just I just one. got one gator. What, yeah. Is it have a name? Uh, yeah, gator. Gator, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. How big is gator? Uh, ga- gator's only about like two and a half feet long, three feet. Has he got a collar or anything, or is he just... Uh, no. Just no. He's, he's got a big, like, a uh, big tank he hangs out in. Yeah. Um, I, I use him a lot for my educational programs, I do. Oh, gator. Yeah, oh, gator. Um, what is your favorite snake species or do you have like a couple of bucket list rare snakes you've never seen man uh, what are what are a couple of your you know i have favorite trees to, to, all right uh, i'll go with two okay uh one is uh the eastern indigo snake hmm. love eastern indigo snakes i did uh my master's research um and, and i still work with the project some uh, but uh, in Alabama, we had a project to reintroduce eastern indigo snakes into the Connecticut National Forest where we live. Um, so it was a it was a really awesome opportunity. And my wife and I, um, the the first several years of the project, we implanted radio transmitters into the snakes, and it was our job to to go out there and follow them through the woods and see you know, what their survival was, what their home range was, what kind of habitats were they using, um, and then be able to compare that to uh, the the remaining wild populations. I, I should mention eastern indigo snakes are uh, federally threatened species, they're, and they're declining across the range. So this is an effort to, you know, conserve the species. And, uh, and they're a fire adapted species. They are right? a fire adapted species. They, they use, uh, gopher tortoise burrows are, are very important to them in the winter time. 
And uh, so, uh, so Eastern indigo snake, I've, I've done a lot of work with that snake species. And uh, um, we're, we're really, uh, I think at this point we can call that project a success. Great. Uh, we've, we've checked off all the, the boxes as far as, uh, when in the beginning, when we sat down, we said, well, what are your parameters for calling this a success? Um, we're pretty much there. Um, so it's, a, it's a great project. Um, but, uh, so, uh, Eastern Indigo, definitely. I, I, I mean, I just have to say that one, even if it's not because, um, you know, it's such an awesome snake. Right. And, uh, and, and I will say, since we brought venomous snakes, um, their, their primary prey is venomous snakes. Mm. Um, these are one of the snake eating snakes or Ophiophagus snakes. <laughs> Ophiophagus. So that's Ophiophagus. like a king snake. Yeah, king snakes, yeah. indigo snakes, um, black racers to a, a lesser extent um, are all Ophiophagus. They eat other snakes. Uh, indigo snakes um, actually prefer. Uh, we did a paper not too long ago that, and um, uh, showed that they do prefer pit vipers huh. uh, and in particular copperheads. Um, I think they just taste a little better too. Yeah, mm. it's kind of like uh, I like to describe it. The, the copperheads like a pepperoni pizza ah, um, yeah. to the indigo snake. Every <laughs> indigo snake loves copperheads. Mm. You know, a mouse—that's kind of like the Brussels sprouts. Yeah, I sure. I, some will eat them. Yeah, yeah, they're they're all right, but you know, it's not, not like, like a juicy copperhead. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Juicy copperheads are delicious. Um, you probably don't always like to just kill snakes, and we may need to talk about that. But I don't. Um, have you eaten any and, and what are some, I mean, do you I, know some yeah, that taste I, a little I, better I, than others or? I mean, I wouldn't say they taste better than others. A snake kind of tastes like snake. Okay. Um, yeah. I've eaten plenty that they're okay. They're too bony for my. Too much taste. trouble. Yeah. It's too much trouble for too little meat. Like the, the only times I've really eaten them and been like, Oh, that was good. Where I, I used to be real into wilderness survival and I'd go out and, for days on end with a knife and just, you know, try and live or whatever. And, and uh, a couple times I had to break down and eat some snake and, and <laughs> you know, when you're hungry, it tastes pretty good. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so does anything, you know? Uh, but, uh, but I, I wouldn't go out and like hunt them. Like it's, there's right. not, you know, I like, I like my fish boneless, you know, I don't know yeah. about y'all, but like even a crappie, I'll, I'll fillet that bad boy, take every little bone out of it and fry that up. And that's how I like them. Mm. You know? Now you're messing up my rapid fire questions. <sighs> oh, well. That's okay. Good answer. That's okay. Well, we've got a lot to go over. So, but you were going down a road as a snake guy, a herpetologist. Yeah. So it, it probably does pain you when you see pictures on the internet of people Killing snakes. I mean, it depends on the situation. Some people get all bent out of shape about it. I'm not one of those people per se. Like if you're going out in the Kanaka National Forest in the middle of their land, you know, where their home, um, you know, one, it's illegal Two, um, you know, you're in their territory, yeah. you know, yeah. it's one thing if the snake's like in your yard or on your porch or whatever, you know, I don't totally understand that. Um, but you know, if you're just like driving down the dirt road in the middle of nowhere and you see a rattlesnake over on the side of the road and you stop and get out and shoot it, you know, I, yeah. I'm not as much of a huge fan of that. I agree there. Um, that, that makes sense. Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. 
Speaking of Connecticut, did you uh, happen to bring us any sausage? <laughs> if I had known, I would have brought some. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll send that is some some. fantastic sausage. It is. It is. Yeah. It's kind of funny, He's though. He's always looking for a sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind <laughs> you know of, anybody there? <laughs> I, I don't. I should. Um, although, my, I will say most of my sausage is venison. But, there you uh, go. Um, but, uh, but if I don't have venison sausage, it's always going to be Connecticut. Yeah, yeah. Same so the only sausage I'll eat besides my venison sausage. Hashtag Kaneka. All right, sausage. so let's let's go back to the you you when we started talking about this, you 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 said, hey, I'm gonna bring three of the most popular three venomous snakes in the South: water moccasins, copperheads, and rattlesnakes. Mm-hmm. You were yeah. gonna bring one of three. I think you brought more than that. Thank I, you I so did. much. We appreciate. I, I did. Hey, I, that's my pleasure. He's an overachiever. But, so let's check the water. Moxon off. Let, let's finish sure. that. Was there anything else we, we needed? To, I, that surprised me that they didn't chase you both. I've do, heard that all my do life. Do we need to get out a, a water moxon? Yeah, let's well, get him out. Well, before we do Wait, that, is there, any, yeah. is there any more questions? There's so many questions, you know? Because I'm I, when I think of water moxon, I think of them short and stumpy. And I think Sounds like a, I've always heard they're just mean as a it. snake. You know, I've just heard they're mean. That, so well, it, I mean, I'm I, wrong, uh, evidently. I mean, uh, yeah, they're not, that, but they are sort of weird snakes in that they do, they, they do weird stuff. I mean, uh, I've, uh, you know, uh, I've had more water moccasins do like unexpected snake things than, you know, other snakes um, in that like, um, I don't know, just, you know, like, for instance, Cottonmouth story here. And cottonmouths and water moccasins are the same snake. Let's clarify that too. Um, doesn't matter what you call them, they're the same creature. A Keistrodon piscivorous, if we want to get particular. There you go. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, so story, I've uh, multiple times, I've worked at a state park for a long time. Uh, and um, I'd be walking along the lake. There's a thick population of cottonmouths in this lake. And uh, they'll see. Uh, someone catch their eye. Maybe it was my movement or whatever, uh, from, from a, a fair distance out in the water. And it would see that and it would just kind of like start swimming right at me. Now, most people would be like, that snake's chasing me, right? Well, I'm not a, a normal person, I guess. I'll admit it. Um, so I'm just going to stand there, you know, I'm like, what's this snake going to do? You know, I'm not afraid or anything. So I just sit there and the cottonmouth would come up and, uh, Every time it would just slither into a hole that I was standing inadvertently standing on top of, hmm. um, like a you know a beaver hole or a big muskrat den or something like that, and just like, and it would you know it you know it it clearly wasn't chasing me. It, it wasn't attacking me. It was just trying to get in the hole that it knew was there and was a safe place. Hmm. Um, we had some, uh, I've taken groups out and, and watched cotton mouths, you know, come swimming and then they'll swim right by a person and go, you know, the other way. It's like, they know where they want to go. And if you're just happen to be in between, you know, it and where it wants to be, it's going to go right by you. Um, so, yeah. I got struck by a water moccasin one time. I, I can believe that. And I I remember looking down and seeing that this this mouth wide open, yeah. solid white, and it was cold up. Yeah. And I couldn't stop my foot from going down. It, I, I mean, I saw it right as I stepped right yeah. beside it. Uh-huh. And it popped me on the boot, and it's 
It scared me to death. My yeah. heart for thirty minutes. My heart. Here we come. It's it, the big one. It, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. A, I mean, I'm telling you, that's I, a, that right there is why I, why I wear snake boots when I go out in the woods. Yeah. Um, I, 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 it, it really messed my heart up for. I mean, for thirty minutes, yeah. my heart was. Uh, and and probably probably that snake had been sitting there gaping at you, you for several it, feet. Yeah. You didn't notice it, and then you step right on it or right beside it, and you know they will strike. So I was wearing just some regular rubber boots, mm-hmm. and he did he didn't bite through that. Is well, that, that's good? Is that um, it? Are normal leather boots? If a guy's wearing some work boots, will a snake bite through something like that? Absolutely, they will. Yeah, uh, I. I uh, there was a guy in the hospital room right next to my mother at one point when she was in the hospital and uh, he had been bitten by a copperhead. And uh, I noticed that he was only one, wearing one boot and uh, it was just a pair of leather work boots. And uh, uh, the story was that they had to cut the other boot off of him when he went into the hospital um, because his leg had swollen up and they cut that boot off, but it had bitten him through that leather work boot. Hmm. Um, and he actually like, um, had gone in and like passed out on the couch for a little bit and, and delayed going to the hospital, which is why it swelled up for you and they had to cut the boot off him. So I guess that's the same with regular rubber knee boots. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, any sort of barrier is going to be better than no barrier. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, like, and in particular, cottonmouths are kind of like this. They'll, they'll kind of like give a half hearted strike. Or, you know, they're, you know, if a snake really wants to bite, it can do that. Um, but a lot of times they'll just kind of, you know, strike more just so that the movement and the action of it doing it startles whatever it is and, and runs them off. And, um, you know, that is definitely a thing they do be kind of give a half hearted strike you know, hit the thing, not even really, you know, sink its fangs in and then scoot off. Hmm. Mac, you looking like you got something to say. Yeah. Uh, so what percent of snake strikes are venomous, like in with venomous snakes? Uh, so as far as like um, snake bites, um, so uh, there, there are things called a dry bite, and that's where a, a venomous snake will bite somebody and not inject venom. Um, and that, um, off the top of my head, I want to say it's about nine, nine, somewhere between nine and 20% of, uh, the bites are, uh, are dry bites, uh, where they don't inject any venom. And the other they're getting you. And mm-hmm. then the other they're, yeah, they're injecting venom. Is there any- but there is a difference. Like sometimes they'll, they'll just inject a little bit of venom, you know, to is, a lot of venom. Is there depending. any truth about the young snake not being able to control and puts more venom in than old? No, one? okay. That that is a total Just myth old. that that you know, a young snake is more dangerous. And, yeah. a, and a friend of mine like came up with a great analogy. You know, like, um, you know, if you take one shot of liquor, mm-hmm. right? That that's going to be a really potent, you know, eighty percent, you know, alcohol sort of thing. Um, but that's not going to get you near as drunk as if you drank 24 beers, yeah. you know, um, and the same sort of thing with snake venom, you know, even if the, the little snake, uh, there is some evidence that but not necessarily that it's more toxic, but it's a different cocktail, uh, of venom and venom is pretty complicated thing. But, um, uh, but even if that were the case, an adult snake is going to have a lot more venom and, uh, be, be able to, uh, to, to give you a, a far worse bite. How do they produce venom? 
Um, so they produce it in their body. It's a, it's a, it's a cocktail of uh, proteins and enzymes and things like that. And it's produced in a, in a gland, um, similar to like our salivary glands. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, so it's, it's kind of like modified snake spit. Yeah. Um, and, uh. Um, but but just like our spit is a, is a mixture of different enzymes and things like that that help us to pre-digest food, uh, same with snake. Hmm. Uh, so venom, and I should clarify that, venom is for, for, for hunting. It's for, you know, uh, killing prey. It's not for defense, right? Uh, you know, none of our snakes in the United States have venom to ward off predators or anything like that. It's all for... For hunting, you know, in and in a, uh, uh, most of our snakes are ambush predators. So very akin to like a bow hunter sitting up in a tree stand, right? Um, snakes will, you know, find their good spot, kind of like that corn pile or whatever, and they'll sit there <laughs> and wait for the prey to come down, and then boom, they strike it. Um, but but mice are pretty dangerous, and so um, you know it might strike that mouse or squirrel or whatever, and it lets it run off and die. Um, just like, you know, a bow hunter shoot a deer with a bow and, you know, then let the deer run off and then they trail it. Uh, and, uh, snakes have an incredible sense of smell and, uh, they can actually, uh, smell right where that animal's been and then they'll follow it over. And then once it's dead, they'll consume it. <laughs> Need a blood trailing snake. Oh, I can put in my hunting vest. Yeah. I've been, hunt. I've been telling people, I mean, snakes sense of smell is amazing, way better than any mammals and we really need to like figure out how to train like bomb and drug sniffing snakes yeah um but uh they're kind of hard to train so that's, have you that's a water snake duck hunt. um <laughs> I'm, I'm interested in in some of the other like non-venomous snakes sure uh, i don't understand uh like what their teeth are like so if I don't know if you're really supposed to handle a non-venomous snake or not you may can get into that but if they bite uh, I remember when I was a kid, I'd pick up lizards and things and their bite there. They didn't have like two fangs. It yeah. was like, they just had these little bitty fish teeth. Or yeah, something. exactly. So are the non-venomous all like that? Or do yeah. some of them have fangs? Uh, no, not uh, uh, the only snakes that have fangs are the venomous, um, uh, the, the, you know, quote venomous species. Um, and when you talk a little bit about that, there's some species that, that, you know, are technically venomous. They produce venom, uh, but it doesn't affect people. Um, one classic example would be the hog nose snake. It's a cool snake. Uh, a lot, a lot of people call them spread natters because yeah. they, they can spread their, their neck out. Um, they're, they're actually rear fang. They're, they're a true rear fang snake. They have enlarged teeth in the back of the mouth that have a groove. Um, but, uh, but all the rest of them, the, the coral snake and, and, uh, uh, all of our pit vipers, uh, they have uh, true fangs. So they're hollow, um, like hypodermic needles, big and large teeth. Um, but all snakes have a, a, a double row of teeth um, and, uh, and they are slightly recurved, um, you know, and, uh, and, and they can all scratch you up. Um, it's just only the venomous ones uh, can inject a toxin that's, that's dangerous to people. So, just say I I got better at ID and snake species, sure. and I decided I wanted to handle you know one of the safer snakes to yeah. handle. Obviously non venomous. Can you name a, a couple of species that 
somebody that wants to try to handle one could handle and Absolutely. how you would handle it properly? Yeah, I mean, I mean, some some good ones would be um, start off small, like uh, you know, um, green snakes, uh, uh, gray rat snakes. Um, although gray rat snakes can be a little temperamental, um, but uh, corn snakes would be a good one. Um, King snakes, although in Alabama, technically now king snakes are actually a protected species, so it'd technically be illegal to pick them up. Um, but in Mississippi, you're all good. So, uh, all right. uh, you can pick up king snakes. They're really awesome. Um, you know, even some of the water snakes, um, you know, they, they, they will often produce that musk. Um, but you know, um, you can just wash it off or, uh, a pro tip for outdoorsmen. If you're handling snakes and they musky, get some sweet gum leaves, crush them up and then rub it all over the affected musky area. And it'll help to neutralize the musk. Huh? Sweet gum. Sweet yeah, gums sweet have gum. a purpose. That, I was exactly <laughs> what, what I was It's one of the say. only wildlife the purposes only. out there for sweet gum. Wow. I'm, I'm one of the few tree nerds that doesn't hate sweet gums because yeah. they're good at training the the red oaks to grow tall and straight. Sure, so, sure. But anyway, that's another subject. Yeah. So uh, next time I get a snake in my chicken coop, like a, a gray rat mm-hmm. snake, I can probably just pick him up and absolutely and get him out. And of if there. you're in the slightest bit nervous, throw on a pair of leather gloves. While leather gloves will not prevent any of our pit vipers uh, from from getting you, um, they, they work great for great rat snakes or any non venomous. So snake. that's good practice. I've got yeah. some big old long uh, well leather gloves. gloves for like uh, melting lead to make bullets and yeah. stuff. I oh, can yeah. put those on. Slap those on and just go out and grab you some great rat snakes and uh, any non venomous snakes. Fine. I'm gonna try it. Um, yeah. And it's a great way to get you more comfortable around snakes. I found over all the uh, educational programs I do that by getting people to actually just touch the animal, it, it like instantly demystifies it, right? Mm-hmm. People build up in their head all these uh, mystical, weird things about snakes. Snakes are just animals, you know, they're just doing their snake thing, you know, and we we're the ones that make all these weird things about them. And if you touch them and you observe them and you see them, um, they become way less scary because you're like, well, that's just an animal. It's just doing animal things. You say that, but I, I tell you what, I that, they, they give me the willies. I'm just going. Well, well right. sure. But that's because have you handled a lot uh, of them? No, no, no. Well, I, there you go. No, no. Point really proven. Have. Point proven. And and I've had more instances where they've just scared the bejesus out of me. Yeah. yeah I mean, it is very startling to just like pop up, you know, have a snake pop up and you're like, oh. So I got a quick question and, and I don't know this is exactly what happened to me, but there was a, um, there's a lot of king snakes around my house, a lot of rattlesnakes, a mm-hmm. lot of copperheads. I live in a lot of public land too. And, um, there was, uh, it, it seemed like we were, um, seeing a lot of king snakes and then there was a king, there was a, a hollow cavity under my air conditioning unit uh-huh. and, and I kept seeing this king snake go in and out of it. And then eventually the little king snakes were coming out. Ooh, yeah. And I was like, oh, look at there. That's awesome. So, yeah, I was starting to pay attention to it and That's everything. Amazing. And then one day a rattlesnake rolled out of there too. Huh. Is that possible? Or was it just complete yeah. circumstance that no. I saw that? I mean, it's, 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 it's possible. I mean, you know, snakes use. Um, Would multiple species yeah, be in one Yeah, multiple species will use the same uh, burrow or yeah. cavity or whatever. 
um, what, what's cool is that you found young king snakes. Yeah, that's, it was lots of really them too. It was cool. Uh, you know, the king snakes eat venomous snakes, and king snakes as a species are declining across their range. And so that's why Alabama's protected them. Uh, and, uh, several people have, have published studies, uh, where we've been able to document their disappearing in the Kaneka, where I live, king snakes disappeared somewhere around the eighties and, uh, are just completely gone. I mean, we got a good um, crop of them in my house. Yeah. And, and, and transversely, we did a, uh, we did a paper, uh, it's been quite a few years now, um, where we looked at some data and were able to show that where those king snakes disappear, uh, the populations, or at least the, the relative abundance of copperheads increases dramatically. Mm. 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 Wow. Yeah. Can we talk about pigs and snakes real quick? Sure. Do you, do you have any evidence on, we always talk about around here some of these big river bottoms that are just infested with pigs. Right. We think we see far fewer snakes when we're hanging out. Well, around particularly there. managing waterfowl impoundments. When yeah. we draw that water down, and there's all those little flipping amphibians and mm-hmm, fish, and the, mm-hmm. the the water moccasins yep. tend to flood in there. But sure. over the years, with the hog population going up, and we even see where there's snail, there's snake tracks, and then hog tracks, and there's no more snake tracks. Yeah. You know. So I mean, I have personally observed a hog eat a young cottonmouth. Mm. And that cottonmouth turned around, bit him right on the snout, and didn't seem to phase the hog at all. Lip. He just like <laughs> shoot it on down. I was like, wow, that Bruh. was a that was on a management area in central Alabama. I was actually hunting hogs. Mm. Um, I don't know whether that hog would have had any uh, you know ill effects from that because I, I did shoot it. Oh, pretty soon. Did <laughs> pretty, pretty soon after he ate the cottonmouth, but uh, um, yeah. Um, but it, it, you know, it didn't seem swollen or I, anything. I don't think there is a study about that yet. I yeah, there, I, I know there's not, there's not a study, but it's sure something, it may be anecdotal, but it's something we, yeah, we definitely I mean, anecdotally, I've seen them eat them and you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, hogs have an impact, a big impact on, um, you know, a, a, a lot of other ecological a things. Yeah, we've- uh, and there, there is a lot of, uh, uh, evidence now that they uh, they predate on reptile amphibians a lot, um, and uh, they're they're just nasty creatures. And once you get rid of them all, hey, yeah, this guy yeah. this guy's dead on over here. So, is there any any other wives' tales about cottonmouths that we need to clear up before we move on? It, it uh, seems like there was. You had mentioned earlier that b- back at some point in time that people referred to the copperhead as a upland moccasin and upland the, moccasin, and the water yeah. moccasin as a huh as a, as a, that's just you a know, common name moccasin. thing though right yeah it is um but yeah they they, they um you know water moccasin cottonmouth again same same creator uh but uh um yeah i mean there's all kinds of probably cottonmouths are the most mystified of mm-hmm. all of our venomous snakes like people come up with all kinds of crazy things um, pertaining to cottonmouths. Most of those are not rooted in, you know, any sort of uh, scientific fact. Boy, you flip a John boat over this time of year, there's going to be one laying underneath it. Shoot, where I was this morning, they're going to be everywhere. Yeah, there's they do tend to get up under John boats. Um, What's the biggest cottonmouth? I I hear a lot of people talk about them up on uh, docks and stuff. And that's probably a water snake. That's that's probably a water snake. Um, Most of the time, when people send me a picture with the title "cottonmouth," I found on my dock. 
Um, ninety percent of the time, it's a water. Snake. What about when you're in your boat and you see a snake on a you know overhanging branch above mm-hmm. the water? Is that more often not a cottonmouth? I mean, not, do they? I mean, they do get up there. I, I will say the majority of the time I see them, it's a water snake. Uh, but they definitely, I mean, uh, you could definitely find a cottonmouth. I've seen them up in branches, um, you know, in shrubs along uh, creeks and, you know, the edge of lakes and stuff like that. But they don't um, get there. They, you don't you rarely see one over a, a three feet long. Yeah, that- yeah. I mean, three, four foot, four foot cottonmouth would be like the upper end of cottonmouth. And a lot of people are like, man, I saw a seven foot cottonmouth. And, uh, and they'll be like, <laughs> it, they'll be like it was as big around as my arm. And I'm thinking, well, there wasn't a seven footer because they're very stout creatures. And, uh, uh, the biggest one I've ever seen was just under six feet. And, uh, that thing was as big around as my calf. Hmm. Uh, I mean, it was just a huge, it was the most intimidating snake I've ever seen. And I've, I've worked with some six and seven foot diamondbacks before. Wow. I so. agree. Some of those ones we've seen working on dog impoundments are yeah. quite intimidating. Yeah. And, and I don't know if they're territorial or they know they're that big and I'm not going to say they were chasing me, but I will say they stood their ground. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like very, they looked at you and they didn't run. They're like, what's up? You yeah. Know? <laughs> I mean, there's not a lot of predators at that point. Right. About the only thing in nature that predates on something like that would be, you know, big hawks and yeah, owls and yeah, things like yeah. that. We need to show them the video of some of those. Yeah, right I was thinking about that. Maybe yeah, when they when they when they look at you and they start going like, you know, moving those jaws, that's when they're big. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so do we want to move on to the copperhead now and talk oh, about him? Yeah, yeah. well, we just we spent the whole time uh, on cottonmouth. Well, yeah, the well, time's getting by. <laughs> Can we talk about copperhead for a little bit? Yeah, sure. Cottonmouth or copperheads. Um, they're, they're, uh, they're the most common, uh, venomous snake in the Southeast, um, and really the Eastern United States. Uh, and, uh, they're also responsible for the most envenomations of any snake in the Eastern United States. Hmm. Um, uh, probably because, uh, one, they're, they're really common and, uh, two, um, copperheads do really well living around people. Um, you know, whereas like a big rattlesnake, you know, people might see him, kill him, you know, et cetera. They just don't do well around people. Um, you know, copperheads do real well. I've seen them literally in, in downtown Birmingham. I've gotten copperheads like in an extremely urban environment. Um, but they also, you know, can be found in rural areas, of, uh, of sure, course. Sure. Um, so they're, they're really common species. Um, Best way to identify a, a copperhead. And at some point, we'll have to get some of these snakes. Yeah, let's get some out. snakes out. We're going to get snakes out? That way, I, let's I, get a copperhead out. Look, you're I'm gonna, at the far gonna, end of the table. You're going to put okay. this it, off it, the whole I think, time. Bobby yeah. needs to hold one. I think Bobby should I, hold I mean, one. it helps to explain. Let's see him. Let's get him out. It helps to explain how to identify them yeah. if we actually look at them. Let's look at them. So, so let's, see what, let's see if we can do this. Pucker we'll, up, Buttercup. We'll get out a. Uh, copperhead to take a look at. Um, one of these buckets contains copperhead. <laughs> or it should contain a copperhead unless it's gotten out or something. Yeah. Look under the table, Bobby. Watch your feet. Yeah, I got my feet up <laughs> on oh, the I took the lock out. <laughs> <laughs> the lock's off the bucket. 
I too lock all my buckets. You know, guys, if oh, you're listening to this, you can go to YouTube and and, and be able to watch right, this. All right, so we're gonna get out the copperhead. Holy mackerel! It's so, just a small he's copperhead. Look yeah, at yeah. It. it's just just a copperhead, right? It's not like jumping he's off sticks trying you. to attack us or anything crazy, right? Um, but the best way to identify them is by their pattern, and that's true of all of our venomous snakes. Just like birds or, or you know, whatever. The best way to identify them is their pattern. If you notice, the copperhead um, has basically like hourglasses wrapped over the back of the snake. And uh, I like to say, you know, if the snake has an hourglass on it and you're messing with it, your time is limited. Ah. I, it, I mean, that's not necessarily <laughs> true because you're probably not going to die from a copperhead bite. Um, but it helps. It's a good way to help people remember that, you know, uh, copperheads have an hourglass. The dark bands that go across them are wide at the bottom and narrow at the top. Look at that thing. And, it, it's uh, beautiful. It really how long is. is that snake? Is that three feet? Uh, yeah, it's about three foot. I'd have probably said yeah. four or five, you know. If yeah, I saw exactly. Him in the <laughs> Everybody over exaggerates snakes. I mean, um, uh, there's. Yeah. Kind of like he's uh, pretty, deer antlers. He's uh, he's quite curious. Look at him. Sure. Get closer to Rob with it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Rob, <laughs> Rob, Rob, you get closer to it. Uh, well, I think I could brought a telephoto in. He's just chilling. He really he's, is and beautiful. Smelling. Yeah, and he's just or is, is that a male or a female? Can you tell? Um, you can't really necessarily just look at him and tell. I mean, I know that this one is a uh, male. Okay. Uh, because I've I've probed him, mm-hmm. uh, but. But basically, you have to uh, you have to probe something inside their uh, parts mm. and uh, to tell whether they're male or female. And they have two. I mean, I feel like <laughs> David Letterman and that Hannah guy right now. Yeah, you know? that's true. Yeah. It's cool. You, you know, Jack Hannah. And yeah. That. Or Marlon yeah. Perkins as Jim Reddy's school. Oh, that's old <laughs> school right there. About. Mutual uh, Omaha. Yeah, wild the kingdom. Wild Kingdom. That was awesome. Um, but yeah. Um, uh, uh, now some people, you, uh, I notice nowadays everybody talks about it, it's real popular to talk about how they have Hershey Kisses stuck to their side, mm-hmm. um, which you know I can see that you know a Hershey Kiss um, kind of on the inside of the uh, um, uh, the hourglass oh, there. That's awesome. Um, so that snake also like from time to time we have these uh, cicadia. Uh, yeah, the cicada and so patches. They love to eat those cicadas. They, they do. They do eat uh, cicadas. They do like to eat cicadas in the summertime. I mean, not that like they're going to be out there like you know, um, just gorging it, on them. Yeah, I mean, it's not that like if if we have a big cicada hatch, all of a sudden now we're going to have a gazillion copperheads. That's not how population dynamics and any wildlife work. Um, but they do. Uh, when the cicadas are out, they do preferentially hunt cicadas. Yeah. He's Absolutely. just chilling. He's just I like mean, rested this is up. so cool. Yeah, look at him. Yeah. He's cool. So, so that's copperhead. You got that hourglass pattern. Um, if you, if you look real close, um, you can see his, uh, pit, mm-hmm. um, where they get their name pit viper, yeah. um, between their, their nostril and their eye. Uh, they have what's called the L'Oreal pit, which is connected to their optic nerve. Um, it allows them to sort of over, uh, uh, overlay a heat, uh, or thermal image on top of their regular vision. 
Hmm. How good can the snake hear? Very poorly. Um, they don't have ears like us. They don't have a tympanic membrane um, like uh, you know mammals and birds and frogs and things do. Um, but they do have bones in their body, so they can they can sense vibrations, and they could certainly you know they could sense the vi- deep vibrations of our voices, um, stuff like that. Um, obviously, vibrations moving, um, you know, uh, on the floor or something like that. Um, but they they don't have the fine scale hearing that that uh, you know birds and you know things that make noises have. What's interesting that I'm looking around the room and nobody <laughs> is taking their eyes off the off the snake. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it is beautiful. Yeah. What, is what's beautiful. his name? This one is named Copperhead. Copperhead. Uh, we got oh, yeah. Gator and Copperhead. <laughs> this guy's uh, He's killing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I I, I I don't necessarily uh name my snakes. Oh, he's getting down. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna want to go back what in the that, bucket. What is that term people use? Anthropomorphizing? A- anthropomorphizing. Yeah. Um I don't I don't generally do that um with my snakes because I want people to remember that's a copperhead. And from years of teaching kids and other people, um, uh, people tend to associate whatever you name that thing as that's the thing, right? Yeah, that's smart. So if I call him George, you know, uh, I don't want yeah. somebody to go out and see a copperhead and be like, oh, look, that's a George. What was George? I don't know. Bam. Okay. Yeah. I want him yeah. to know that's a copperhead. That's smart. That's smart. You know? That is smart. That's uh, some fancy buckets he's got. They, these, uh, yeah. They hey, lid screw down. That trains professionals. Yeah, don't try. Uh, so I do a lot of work man. training. So I'm, your wife's um, into snakes too? Yeah, my wife is into snakes. She actually runs. We worked together for a long time, uh, but now she runs a uh, a science center. Oh um, wow, that's cool. Uh, near us, and uh, oh, let's so, get another one out yep, while we're on yep, the road. Yeah, have I some mean, interesting uh, conversations. We, we missed out on the yeah. We got to see the cotton mouth. So, Here, let me uh, let me trade seats for you. Uh, Bobby. No, I'm we, good. We, right. Come on, Bobby. Come on down here. Um, Kind of gets cotton out. I mean, that's just a given. Um, can't, can't not get out the cotton mouth. And uh, look at the size oh, of those tongs. He's got backup for the cotton mouth. Well, you know, in case he like falls off the hook, I want to be able to. Get him, not let not let him get around Bobby's feet or anything like oh, that. Oh, there he is. Not, yeah. He's not he's a big not a one. Re- no, he's not a big one, but he's but, beautiful. But I, I bring this one to show that pattern because, again, like the Copperhead, they have a very similar pattern. You know, the, the dark bands are wide at the bottom, narrow at the top. Uh, but they're kind of pixelated. Yeah. Right, yeah. where they're nice and smooth and uh, It lines, looks like a pile of leaves to me, all of it. Um, on, the, on the Copperhead, the Cottonmouth... Uh, they're kind of pixelated, uh, but notice that dark stripe down his face and that real angular mm-hmm. head. They actually have a scale. What um, you were saying about looking in from the top uh, is is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, how you can't see his eyes. Yeah, you water, can't see his eyes. Yeah, the water snakes have kind of a weird looking head. Yeah, and they, they do. And when they ball, flatten their head to make it look triangular, it m- makes it look even goofier because yeah, it, it kind of forces their eyes towards the middle of their head. Yeah. Um, whereas this guy, you know, um, he's just like. Yeah, don't mess uh, with me. Yeah. yeah. That's not a big one. How old is that snake? Um, this one's only about two to three years old. Let me guess um, his name. I, I, last year it had a green tip, so it was either one or two. So this one's uh, so now he's two, maybe three. 
Um, so is his name Cottonmouth? Very good. Ah, yeah, thank his you, name thank is you. Cottonmouth. I'm catching um, on here. <laughs> uh, are they in the same genus as copperheads? They are. They're in the same genus. This is a Keisterdon piscivorous. Uh, copperheads are a Keisterdon contortrix. Um, but uh, but copperheads, in, um, you, you know, um, while they account for a lot of venomous snake bites, their venom is not super potent. Yeah. Uh, so... Um, not to say that you shouldn't go to a doctor immediately. You most definitely should. Right. Uh, but, uh, as far as the venomous snakes that we have in the Southeastern U.S. and really the U.S. kind of as a whole, um, you know, your chances of dying from a copperhead bite are very, very, very slim. So is it, is it true that you can only have the anti-venom for these venomous snakes one time in your no, life? That is definitely not true. Okay. Um, that, that is a great myth to clear up. Um, so uh, antivenom has changed a lot in the last 20 years. Um, so before um, we, we had antivenom um, that, that did have a decent chance of causing an allergic reaction. Um, uh, but we've developed through science, we've developed a way to basically uh, clean that up and cleave off uh, the the parts of the the antibodies that um, uh, would be dangerous that would cause that allergic reaction. Uh, and so now uh, your chances of having an allergic reaction to uh, uh, snake venom or I mean anti venom uh, are in, incredibly low. Um, and so um, you know. Uh, I wish that a lot of our doctors would kind of catch up with that knowledge uh, and realize that, you know, the only way to treat a snake bite is with antivenom. Uh, and so we should give it, uh, you know, pretty liberally uh, if possible. It's pretty expensive, um, though, isn't it? it? It is pretty expensive, but most insurances cover it. Most people have insurance. So, um, you know, um, while the doctor bill might be, you know, uh, $100,000 or more insurance is paying everything except for your deductible. So what do you care? I'm glad Toxie or Mr. Bill in the, in the room to hear that. <laughs> and, and, and unfortunately, I mean, that, that, you know, that's like any of our drugs, you know. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the drug prices are, are crazy, Ridiculous. stupid, expensive. And that has, well, we don't have time to get into all that. That's the, right. That's well, a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, but uh, I'll just say in other countries, it's not that expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to pet him, Bobby? No, nah, I'm good. Sure? I, he, he is. Boy, he's just running that tongue out there. Is he, yeah, he's sniffing. He's uh, like, if I brought my coonhound in here and uh, let him meet everybody, you know, first thing coonhound's going to do is go sniff everybody, see what's up. I just, Same thing with snake, you know, he's. He's sensing the world around him through his smell. You know? I'm just so intrigued. I mean, yeah. I, I kind of wish I could handle it. I know that would be stupid, but well, they're I, so I will pretty. Say, I will like, say in in a little bit, um, we can put him in a tube, and then you can. Um, you can hold a snake, Dudley. Okay. Yeah, um, but he I will say. Like well, I will say, it. as a professional, we don't. Uh, like I don't pin them behind the head or do anything like that. There's much safer way. We actually, uh, if we have to work with them, like if uh, if I got to take blood samples or put microchips in them, th- things I commonly do, uh, we put them in a clear plastic tube 
that allows us to handle them safely. I saw the or at least a lot more yeah. safe. Yeah. What do you yeah. typically feed your pet snakes? Um, I mean, this guy, uh, most of them get uh, frozen thawed mice. Okay. Um, uh, the occasional, uh, like this guy, I might give them some fish. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, roadkill frog I found in my front yard or something like that. Okay. Um, but, uh, would he eat every day? Uh, no, I, I feed, I feed most of my snakes about once a week during the summertime. Uh, and then, um, snakes are pretty amazing creatures. In the fall, they'll start to, uh, to senesce. They'll start to slow down. And, uh, uh, He'll go from November through February, not eat anything. Um, I, I might even offer a time or two just to see if he's hungry and wants to eat. Uh, but generally from around November to, you know, the end of February, they won't eat anything. They'll just sit there. So if you, at one thing. Sunday afternoon, you and your wife would go down to the pond we, and go we'd fishing. Hold, we, you know, we'd hold up snakes and dance around. No, I'm just but, <laughs> but, So if, you, if you're pushing the boat out, she's in the boat already, you're pushing out, and, and you're wearing flip-flops, and you get bit by a water moccasin on the ankle. Yes. Are you going to go continue to go fishing? Absolutely not. We are going to go to the emergency room right then. immediately. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, there's, a, there's a saying amongst doctors that treat a lot of venomous snake bite, time is tissue. So a lot of our pit vipers, um, one of the main problems that they cause is a destruction of tissue um, and uh, destruction of red blood cells and things like that. And uh, the quicker you get antivenom in you, uh, the more the quicker that can you know start to counteract the effects of the venom and the less tissue damage and things like that that you are likely to have. So you would probably take that flip-flop off. You're going to sit in the passenger seat and stick your foot out the window and hold it up high or above I mean, your heart? You know, honestly, I, so I don't necessarily – ideally, you want to elevate um, above the heart, uh, which is different than what we said 10, 15 years ago. Um, but through uh, some great work by some of uh, our friends and colleagues that are uh, – uh, amazing snake bite uh, physicians, toxicologists, and epidemiologists. We found that elevating above the heart is good. But, um, and this is where people get in trouble, and we've had some problems. Um, people um, tend to get worried, you know, you've just been bitten by a snake, panic tends to run rampant. And things like auto accidents occur. Ah. And if you're going down the road and your leg's sticking out the window and you get in a car wreck, you're going to have a lot bigger problems than whatever the snake did to you. So always buckle your seatbelt yeah, and keep the windows buckle, closed. Buckle Safety your first. Seat belt and, you know, just, just ride to the hospital. It's not like you got to be there within 10 minutes or you're going to die. Hmm. You got, you got plenty of time. To make it to the hospital. Should you call ahead and say, hey, look here, I'm yeah. coming in with a, I've been bit by this kind of snake, or does that even matter? That doesn't matter. I would I would just go ahead and call and say, I've been bitten by a venomous snake, and I'm headed to, um, you know, such and such ER. Uh, make sure you go to a, an emergency room. Don't go to your family practitioner. Don't go to, a, uh, you know, uh, a dock-in-the-box type place. Uh, urgent care, that's not for actual urgent care. That's for colds, <laughs> right? Uh, you don't go there with a snake bite. You want to go to a place with an actual emergency room. 
um, where, they, where they're likely to have antivenom. Uh, and uh, if you do that, then you're, you're going to be fine. Um, so, yeah, call ahead. That, that helps because it does take them a little while to prep the antivenom and uh, get it going. Um, but, uh, but if you just go there, you'll be totally fine. So if you don't know what type of snake it is or it slithers off, should somebody try to figure out what Definitely type? not. Yeah. You, you, it, that's another risk of getting bit, right? Yeah, that's another risk of getting bit. It's a delay in getting to the hospital, any of that sort of stuff. If, like, you get bit and there's a cotton mouth sitting there, you know, and you got your phone, if you can take a real quick pick, sure, that, that might be helpful maybe long down the road. Um, mostly for that epidemiological work I was talking about to know, you know, what the outcome of the bite was relative to, you know, the, the you know, um, being able to positively identify the snake. And, uh, but all the antivenom that's, uh, that's used in the United States for, for, is used for the same, the same antivenom is used for all of our pit vipers. Okay. So whether it was a rattlesnake, copperhead, cottonmouth, you go to the doctor, they're going to give you the same antivenom regardless of what it is. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you definitely don't need to catch it, kill it. Definitely don't take it to the hospital. Um, <laughs> nobody wants a snake in an ER, especially the ER doctors. Yeah, um, I bet that's so. right. We have a crowd gathering yeah, outside. They want to so, they see the rattlesnake. So, uh, sounds like it. Time for sounds a like rattlesnake. Yeah, sounds while like Jim prepares the rattlesnake. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, I'll get out. Um, um, the big one. Am I hearing one rattling? Maybe. Maybe. I could I could hear this one. That could be Richie breathing over here. Yeah, Richie having heart palpitations. So I actually get out the largest rattlesnake species that we have in the United States. Oh, I can hear him rattling. World. He's rattling. Now you can hear him for sure. Oh yeah, you getting that. Robert um, you need to get a little closer, Rob. Get some let's let's if I can get him to balance on the on the hook good. Oh, look at him. That's awesome. Yeah, so, boy. Beautiful. What's that one? That would be, let me guess. That's right. the Eastern Diamondback? That's the Eastern, Eastern Diamondback. Eastern Diamondback. And uh, Eastern Diamondbacks are the largest uh, rattlesnake species in the world. They're the largest venomous snake in North America. And uh, definitely not something you want to get bitten by. This one is a very young one. Um, that they, these get, uh, uh, up to seven, even over seven feet long. Um, and what's and, their range? Uh, they tend to range, um, in the lower coastal plain hmm. and, and, uh, so Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, um, they're going to be, um, you know, in the longleaf pine ecosystem. So if you think gopher tortoises, you think indigo snakes, you think, you know, longleaf pine, quail hunting. Um, that's where the, the eastern diamondback is. Um, this far up in Mississippi, I imagine it would be very rare you ever saw uh, an eastern diamondback. Yeah, most of um, So why is he rattling right now? Well, he's he's kind of agitated that I'm making him sit on this little hook. How um, how and what's the what's the biggest one going to be? Uh, I mean, 
in the wild, rarely they get over six feet. Um, but I have caught them in the Kaneka um, six to seven foot. Um, biggest one I've ever caught in the wild was right at seven feet long. Um, but that would be a really big one. Um, and that's like one in many hundreds okay. that I've caught would be that big. Um, but, but five foot is very common. Uh, I, I get them five feet long very commonly. So what what's I- the myth on the um, rattles that we need to dispel? I, I feel like wow. he decided to jump off the hook. He decided to jump off the hook. Everybody looked real nervous for a second. There he goes again. We're, we're just going to. How about the control unit? Nah, you're fine. You're fine down there on the bottom. <laughs> Is he on the floor? Yeah, the camera guy. <laughs> I, I am impressed, Rob. Of, uh, cool cool <laughs> under pressure. Cool yeah, under pressure. That is good. Um, but uh, so everybody talks about how um, you can age a rattlesnake by its rattle. That is not true. Um, r- rattlesnakes get a new segment every time they shed their skin. They can shed their skin one to as much as five times a year. Um, so, you know, automatically that's going to be a little skew and but uh those rattles are very fragile basically it's just a little piece of dried skin which would be real similar to your fingernail um they can break them off very easily um and some of the biggest rattlesnakes i've caught had the little tiny you know three four segments to their rattles um and and i've caught several that were just kind of average size um that had you know Pretty long strands that were, you know, seven, eight, 15 segments in their rattles. Um, so you cannot age a rattlesnake by um, uh, its rattles um, uh, for, for the most part. You can get an idea if you know what you're looking for, whether the snake is older um, by, by actually the shape of the, the each segment, whether it's uh, the same or whether it tends to taper. Um, but you couldn't be like, well, that rattlesnake is 14 years old. Right. Um, Do they reproduce every year? Uh, they can. They can reproduce every year. They don't necessarily reproduce every year. Um, it, can, it depends a lot on uh, the health of the snake, how much food it's been able to get in the last couple years, um, you know, whether, whether it you know, had disease or something like that that year. Um, so, um, they're capable of it, but, um, you know, it would be rare that they gave birth every year. I hate and to some admit, of them have eggs and some of them have a lot. I was going to say the same they, thing. Don't I don't, they? I have no idea. Why? Yeah. So, yeah. so all of our pit vipers are, are cotton mouths, uh, copperheads and rattlesnakes. They all give live birth. Okay. Um, as well as some of the water snakes, garter snakes, things like that. Um, uh, all of the rest of them lay eggs. Hmm. Uh, so the only venomous snake that we have in the United States that lays eggs would be the coral snake. Hmm. Okay. Um, and that's a, that's a member of the cobra family. And, and they're, I mean, I've never even ran into one in a while, but they're supposedly around. Uh, yeah. Again, they're super rare. And uh, coral snakes are, are what we call fossorial snakes. They spend most of their life underground. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they're down there doing their thing underneath the dirt. Nobody ever sees them. One, they're pretty rare to begin with. Two, they spend most of their life underground. So, 
I mean, they're just rarely encountered snakes. Mm -hmm. Where they're most common in peninsular Florida, um, people see them regularly. But that's because, you know, that's where they're most, you know, that's where the largest population most common. is. Yeah. Um, but in Mississippi, Alabama, uh, and even Georgia, they're, they're pretty rare, um, pretty rarely encountered. Um, so I do want to get out. Yeah, Who's what's next? the next one? Who's next? Um, this guy right here, because he's, he's pretty awesome. And this is, the, this is the rattlesnake nobody ever remembers, right? We forget um, the one we forget about. Yeah, this is the, this is the one everybody forgets about. I always ask people, you know, uh, see if they can name the six venomous snakes that live uh, in the southeast. And uh, generally, with a little with a little work, uh, most people um, and most groups will get five of them. Um, but they always forget this little dude. Look at that little dude. And uh, that little dude right there is the pygmy pig, pig, I was going to say the pygmy rattler. Yeah, that's the pygmy rattler. I have never seen one of those alive. And uh, did y'all hear him rattling? He was rattling when I got him out. Mm -mm. Yeah, you can't. Oh, um, <laughs> trick question. You didn't hear him. Um, <laughs> and and uh, this is one that a lot of people be like, it doesn't have a rattle. Yeah, I see it definitely it has a rattle. Yeah. You can see his rattle. In fact, it has a very impressive yeah, string of rattles. Um, but uh, but they're so small uh, that they just don't make a, a noise that people can hear. Some people say they sound like insects. Uh, we had this one in a glass cage uh, the other day, um, and it was right beside the cage rattling. I could see it rattling, and I stuck my ear right up to it, and uh, I could not hear it rattling. Hmm. Hmm. Now, I don't have the best you know, hearing, unless it's a goblin turkey, then I hear that from like three miles away. <laughs> yeah, I can uh, too. Um, but I cannot hear a pygmy rattlesnake rattle, so... Yeah. You know, well, he's beautiful. Okay, that they're they're cool snakes. Yeah. You, you know, speaking of hearing them rattle, I can uh, re remember. What? What? Go back up. So I can remember one more. I, when I was still lived in, in Montgomery, so it's been a long time ago. Back in the 1800s. Yeah. So I was walking across a pasture in the dark to go to a listening spot, turkey hunting, uh -huh. and a snake started rattling. And I couldn't figure out where it was. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, is that normal? I, I mean, I really couldn't tell if it was in front of me or just where it was. It's in I the mean, dark. It's a, it's a, it's a loud noise, and, and so it, it's hard to pinpoint, you know? So I'm, um, I just stepped back because I figured I, ha I, I yeah, thought that was the smartest thing to do. That I, is the best plan. Always best to just yeah, step that, backwards. I almost wouldn't uh, want to move and I, I step uh, on we, it. Uh, when, when I was much younger, and some might say dumber, um, we, we were out in New Mexico and we went on like a, a night hike, you know, and we wanted to leave our flashlights behind and just feel the trail, you know, and just walk <laughs> around without flashlights, um, find our way through the woods. And, uh, we got like, I don't know, 50 yards from camp before the first rattlesnake started rattling. We didn't realize that we were in a pretty hot spot for rattlesnakes. And uh, by the time we got back to our camp, which, again, was not very far, um, there was four different rattlesnakes around. We'd, like, walk one way a little bit, you know, and then be like, oh, we're not going that way. And then hear one behind us start rattling. Um, and the western rattlesnakes tend to rattle from a greater distance than our eastern rattlesnakes. Mm. Our eastern rattlesnakes tend to, you know, just kind of, you know, if you get real close or you disturb them, uh, they'll start rattling, but they're not prone to 
start rattling from a big distance. I, you know? I one time was in Idaho on a rafting trip and uh, went to the restroom in an outhouse. Uh-oh. And mm-hmm. I sat down and one started rattling mm. in the outhouse. Mm, I'd have stood I don't know, right I don't know what species it was. I would have stood was, right back up. I did. <laughs> I did. I think we're moving to the big bucket now. Let's go. Yeah, let's get the big bucket Let's out. get the big bucket This out. is the mean one. Oh, great. oh good. Is mean as a snake? Yeah, if there were if there were such thing as a mean snake, this would be this would be my. Is that my is favorite. that a, a normal for character uh, for this particular species you're fixing no, to show? No, they're generally pretty chill snakes. I've had numerous timber rattlesnakes, and uh, oh, you most can tell of he's them, heavy. Uh, most of them are like super chill, um, but this one, and I don't know why, it's just his personality. Um, he is not super chill. Um, he's super. I'm, I might need to stand. I up, would man. really love to bite you. Um, <laughs> Let me go ahead and stand so, up. <laughs> um, yeah, here we go. But uh, you be careful now. Oh, I'm oh here he goes. Oh, I can hear him. It's ripping it. Yeah, oh, and unfortunately, he's looking out. Uh, Mac, he's staring at you. He's like oh. coming out of the bucket. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Come on. Come on, buddy. Oh, yeah. That's what's in my house. So that's the timber rouse thing. There he is. Right? Yeah. Like you were talking about, Bobby, and you ran into the other day. This is by far the most common rattlesnake. Um, now, that pygmy rattlesnake can be found throughout the state of Alabama and throughout. Uh, Mississippi, um, uh, but they're not very common unless you get right up close to the Gulf Coast. Uh, basically, I say the closer you get to the, the Gulf of Mexico, the more common they are. Um, whereas timber rattlesnakes are just the most common rattlesnake regardless of the habitat. You know, they can be found in pine plantations, they can be found in swamps, they can be found in, you know, rocky areas. Um, you know, they're kind of the habitat generalist. They can live in a lot of places. They can eat anything from squirrels to mice to cotton rats, um, things like that. Um, Is this what people refer to as a uh, cane break? Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, uh, uh, back in the 70s and 80s, um, there was a thought that they might be two different species, the timber rattlesnake and the cane break. Um, turns out they're the same species, um, but people call them cane breaks or, or, uh, down in South Alabama, a lot of people call them velvet tails. Mm-hmm. Cause they got that black velvety tail. Um, it's a great way to identify them. My buddy black Kyle tail. Bennett, uh, posted a photo of one the other day that was almost white. It was like gray looking oh, that he yeah. found in the wild. It was beautiful. Um, I'm amazed at how I you keep him on that stick. Yeah, you yeah, ever seen and, them with the red stripe going? Yeah, on and back? I mean this one has a chestnut stripe um, going down its back, um, but yeah, they can have a reddish or chestnut or or even mahogany stripe down their back. But for the most part, you and other biologists say this is a pretty docile snake. Yeah, in general, they're pretty docile, uh, but snakes are individual creatures, and this one, I just don't trust him. He's quite inquisitive. Yeah. A little too inquisitive. Um, he knows his strike distance, and uh, uh, so how, what is I don't want to be distance? within it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So their strike distance is about 
um, a third to a half of their body length. Um, and it's greatly dependent on uh, snakes are masters at understanding physics. Hmm. Um, they, they, uh, they have PhDs in physics and uh, can uh, determine, you know, how to orient their body best to maximize the distance that they can throw that forward. Um, and so, um, you know, depending on his body's orientation, uh, the most that he could strike would be about half his body length. Um, on average, would be about a third. Um, but, you know, uh, depending on his orientation, um, they, they might not even be able to strike that. Um, from this, he could probably strike, you know, somewhere right in that zone right in there. Although I'm not going to... Yeah. I'm not going to tempt fate. So have you, in your... In your handling of snakes ever had a some kind of a tragic act some kind of bad accident has one ever gotten you somehow no, bit you no not in, not in all the work i've done with venomous snakes um which is why i do a lot of work with professionals now uh to teach them how to safely oh you're um you're handling ha- is handle amazing venomous snakes um it's so effortless in fact a lot of my friends call call me the the safety freak um, because, you know, I don't take risks. Um, and that's because I work with a lot of venomous snakes. I mean, right. in simple statistics, if you work with several thousand venomous snakes and you're careless. You're going to get bit. Eventually something's <laughs> going to go wrong, you yeah. know, and I want to be as safe as possible. Um, so I do a lot of work now uh, with first responders, um, uh, police, animal control, firefighters, things like that. Uh, to teach them how to safely um, remove venomous snakes and work with venomous snakes, ID venomous snakes, uh, cover snake bite treatment, things like that. Well, look, let's put him back in the bucket and let's close. Bobby, let's not let's yet. sit down and close <laughs> this thing. He just looks agitated. Well, he always kind of looks agitated. He, he doesn't want to go in. No, he doesn't want to go in. He's like, eh, no, I kind of like it out here. Let's go back in, buddy. Oh, um, man. 99. He said no. Well, I'm going to say yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there he goes. There he goes. Oh, thank you. Hey, I wonder what that, and, and, I wonder and, and what he, that hoop, hoop was for. And he grabs the bucket lid with the, the yeah, pole. You, you are very safe. Hey? You, uh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's talking. You know, I, I, like I said, I'm. You know, Nobody trying I like to, get to bit. practice what I preach, you know? Yeah. I don't want to get bitten, and uh, I don't want other people to get bitten. Because every snake bite um, basically adds up uh, to a bad rap for snakes, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and, and, and quite a few uh, snake bites are from uh, people that, um, you know, were, were somehow messing with the snakes. Yeah. I mean, the majority of them are not. The majority of people, they're bitten by snakes. It's an accidental bite. Uh, but there are, there are a lot of people bitten every year because they were, you know, messing with the snake, trying to kill it, trying to pick it up, trying to do things they shouldn't. And uh, so, so, Jimmy, what, is there something that you want to, a point you need to make sure that you make about snakes or, or some kind of, before we start wrapping this thing up? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll wrap up a, a good friend of mine. Uh, Chris Jenkins has a, uh, a podcast out there. 
uh, called Snake Talk, and uh, they talk about snakes, as you might guess on that podcast. <laughs> and uh, he likes to always say, you know, snakes are animals too, and it's a privilege to see one in the wild. Yeah. You know, like we should, uh, you know, we should enjoy that. The you know, venomous snakes, um, you know, are part of our natural heritage as well. Um, you know, and if you go in the ocean, you know, there's sharks, right? And we shouldn't just eliminate all the sharks out of the oceans. We shouldn't get rid of all the grizzly bears in the Western United States. We shouldn't get rid of all the snakes in the Eastern United States. They're part of our natural heritage. And we should learn to live with them and respect them while we're out there being outdoorsmen. God's 100%. 100%. Yeah. That's right. 100%. So how can a guy, they can follow you on Facebook or Instagram? Sure. What, yeah. what is your... You can uh, hit me up, uh, follow my Instagram, which is uh, at jrstyles75. Uh, that's S-T-I-L-E-S, J-R-S-T-I-L-E-S-7-5. Um, or uh, uh, hit me up on my email, um, and that's uh, jrstyles75 at gmail.com. Um, and uh, if you're interested in... Um, you know, uh, say you work with first responders or interested in uh, helping promote uh, our work with first responders, then uh, please send me an email, send me a message, and, um, you know, we can uh, um, get you set up and uh, do some trainings for them. Nice. Well, look, we're going to turn the tables on you just a little bit. I, yeah, meant, I, to, it. I meant to do this at the beginning, and I just got <laughs> sidetracked with these snakes, but we always turn it over to Dudley and let him ask a few questions. and. Uh, we're going rapid fire today? Yeah. So, Dudley, are you ready? Yeah. Uh, no, Miss, Mr. It. Jimmy, are you ready? So this is brought to us by our buddies at Springfield. That's right. I, I, look, I, that, my He's mind so, is just... That, that rattlesnake <laughs> just got it, it tore it, up everywhere. Over. He Spring, can't even talk. And look, Springfield Army, if if something, if something, a snake got out, Springfield Army was going to play a big role in security. <laughs> 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 All right. Here we go. Are you ready? I am. Okay. So he's, you want to explain first? He's going to give you. He uh, listens. Oh, well, my bad. I, when I called him about being on the podcast, he knew exactly what I was talking about. Yeah. All right. I, what, I was somebody, already subscribed to the podcast. Yeah, it, what, if it some, has to do with hunting, fishing, conservation, you're in there. I'm in there. I it's love it's it. in my zone. Sweet. It's in my wheelhouse. Sweet. Excuse me, then. That's yeah. all, right. all right. Are you ready? I am. Regular barbecue sauce or white barbecue sauce? Regular. Livers or gizzards? Uh, livers, turkey breast or turkey thighs. <laughs> I love turkey. Both. There you Fri- go. Fried Both. green tomatoes or sliced ripe homegrown tomatoes. Both. Boom. I love them. Roll Tide or War Dam Eagle. War Dam Eagle. <laughs> Copper- Even though I worked for both. Oh, okay. <laughs> Copperhead Road, Steve Earle or Snake Farm, Ray Wiley Hubbard. Uh, Copperhead Road. Boom. Yeah. Favorite wildlife plant, Chinese privet or calorie pear? Ooh. Ooh. Uh, neither. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Turkey hunt at home or travel to hunt? Oh, man, that's so tough. I I hadn't gotten into traveling until recently, and I've started to really love it. Um, but turkey hunt at home. Okay, yeah. love it. Common name or scientific name? Um. Common name. Snake chaps, snake boots, or neither? Snake boots first, then snake chaps. Ooh, okay, both. Both. Uh, When you were young, did you play Dungeons and Dragons, yes or no? I did not. You were outside. 
Creek fish or pond fish? Uh, creek fish for sure. All right. And last but not least, beard trimmer or razor blade? I don't use either. <laughs> Neither. <laughs> that was All awesome. Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you. When's the last time you shaved? Uh, it was in 1995. <laughs> <laughs> it was the last time I shaved ago. or cut my awesome. hair. Uh, it was 1995. That's awesome. Well, I, I tell you what, we've really enjoyed getting Absolutely to meet you. Absolutely enjoyed you. Mac, oh, why don't you, we've got a trivia question now, and you've heard this, but if you get this right, uh, one of our listeners that left a review wins Ooh. a prize. Hopefully, All right. hopefully so, I'll do pretty good. I like trivia. So you're playing for Arrows and Oaks 1987. Arrows and Oaks. if you get it right, then we'll send them a companion shirt. Cool. Nice. Yeah. All right. So the question is, what is the fastest snake in North America? In North America? Um, wow. Uh, it'd either be the Black Racer or the Coach Whip. Maybe the Coach Whip? Nah, there we go. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Love it. I've caught a lot of coach whips. They're super fast. I call them face biters because they'll also bite you in the face. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> they say that they'll, they'll, they'll go up to 18 miles per hour, 14 oh, to 18. I can hour. believe that. I've chased them through the woods and I couldn't keep up. Wow. Well, look, I, when, I, when I think this. about that, we got some youngins out there that want to have a, a private presentation. And sure. So, love so it. You, you're going to be busy for a little while. But, That's Jimmy, right. it, you've been very impressive in yeah. your explanation. And Thank you. Um, good luck with this PhD. We understand you're real close to getting to being Dr. Jimmy Styles. Uh, I, Dr. I am, Jimmy. I'm working on it as much as I can stand to. And we'd, <laughs> we'd, love to we'd love to get you on a turkey hunt somewhere and yeah. look, see if I, you can – Look. I would love that. I will. I will travel. So when they're goblin good down them. there, holler and we'll come down. There. That'd be the easiest thing. Hey, y'all are y'all are welcome. I I I love turkey hunting so much. I don't have to. I don't have to be the one that pulls the trigger. I just like going out there and listening to gobble and having the whole deal go down. So yeah, that's cool. us. Yeah. Whoever pulls yeah. triggers. The deal go down. That's right. Well, yeah. you got, well, I tell you what, we've enjoyed meeting you and you, you represent the, you, you make, you made me kind of change my opinion about snakes. And that's uh, good. That's, that's kind of what I go for in my life is to change, you know, people's perceptions about snakes and reptiles in general. Cool. Well, I still thank you. Thank you for your service. No doubt. Yeah. I still don't trust Dudley. But oh, now I do you. think a little bit more about these snakes. So <laughs> I, can't, I can't blame you. Yeah. Mac, you got anything else to add? I'm good. Go to plantbiologic.com. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, that, that's for sure. And uh, Richie, what season. about you? Don't. No, I'm good. I'm just... you, is the LS back here? It's, uh, yeah, it's been back. See, okay. it's been back for it's been back for a week. Yeah, twenty four hours. I need to go look at this thing. I'm nervous. Yeah, so, it, well, it's just cosmetic. So, from well, it's just co- well. Let me back up. One thing I didn't throw in there. I forgot that when last time I was working on these brush piles, I was doing with a chainsaw and all that, and I you know I ran into a snake. Yeah. And so that's why I uh, you know got the LS involved, uh, and because you know blame I, I turned it on out the snake. Of and course. so yeah, it turned out, but let's so one it, of those guys. It turned out, you know, it was a black racer, but it made a rattle sound like it like hit the brush and stuff. Oh, man. Yeah. And so we'll it freaked me out. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Kill privet plant native. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jimmy, we've Burn. enjoyed having you. Uh, it's uh, been uh, it's been my pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're gonna get here. you a companion shirt before you leave. So. Wonderful. Thank you. Looking around, I think that's everything. Why don't you say goodbye, Dudley? Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, Mac Mac. Let's count his snakes now before he... He's uh, got them. I saw all the buckets. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. 
Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine and don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.